Hello, this is Ken Ferry and this week's Boots in the Field report. This week has made a marked improvement in many areas as corn is taking on that deep blue-green color and it's for the most part moved into the rapid growth stage. Early planted beans are also in that rapid growth stage and they're really taking off. The later June planted beans are still trying to get through that B4 stage where they'll take off as soon as they can start making their own nitrogen. What little April planted and early May corn we have is getting ready to shoot tassels uh, next week or start uh, the week after. So we're getting ready to start that all-important job of pollination. While this is the biggest corn out there, I've seen quite a bit of unevenness in what I've been in the past week or so. This makes it harder for the pest team. It'll take more time per field to get a handle on what's going on. If you're in the wrong portion of the field, you may miss a pollination issue completely. Think back on these fields and how they looked at V6 through V8. That's a good precursor on how they will pollinate. So soil types or zones that were behind, they're going to pollinate late or behind the field. And I'm talking mainly here about a lot of that side hill seep issues we dealt with with the stunted corn. That is going to be the last uh, to pollinate. So this would be a good time uh, as, we're, as we're starting to push tassels out to put your drones up. Get the drone up above the field and see where the tassels are coming out. Take pictures of that. That gives a good target for your pest team to scout where to head to in the field. For you guys that are getting aerial imaging, uh, that's another place to use this stuff is to figure out just how uniform that field is when you set up your pattern. So instead of randomly wander through the field, we're going to target those areas that we know are having trouble. Now some of the toughest fields to manage are those that have considerable amount of unevenness within the row. Although some of these plants will be late pollinators, due to some of the low populations we have in this early planted corn, we really need to get them pollinated. We need an ear there. The insects, you know, that interrupt pollination, and mainly we're talking about rootworm beetle and Japanese beetle, they like to feed on pollen that's landed on the silk. And they'll move from the, to the freshest source of pollen uh, that they can find, meaning they'll start feeding on these early plants as soon as they start pollinating, and then they will migrate to the last pollinating plants meaning that we will concentrate this population on a few plants at a time instead of spreading it across the whole population if it was uniform. Pest teams will start to be able to make ear count predictions uh, in these uh, early planted fields. While some of these fields look really nice from the road compared to the small neighboring fields, it will still take ears to get the grain. So with the grower the other day and who wished all of his corn looked like his April corn. But we were counting 22 to 24,000 plants in his April corn as a projected ear count compared to 36,000 in his June corn. Mm. At this point, I would not rule out the June corn beating the April corn in that situation. The late planted corn is much more uniform in stand development. And it will still need scouting, but it's going to be easier to do when pollination comes. While we're scouting these fields, be sure to look for disease infections. Seed corn is kind of the canary in the coal mine when it comes to disease, and these fields are starting to light up. 
Disease should not be a surprise to anybody who's paying attention to this weather. While I do expect a lot of disease issues this season, it's nothing a good pest team can't handle. Just stay on top of it. The nitrate season is coming to a close as the number of nitrate samples coming through here has slowed way down. As I look back at the fields you guys pulled and the hundreds of samples that we've looked at this year, uh, I believe this year will probably go down as one of the more nitrogen-friendly seasons I've seen, at least up to this point, meaning we can account for most of the applied nitrogen. Now this is due to several things. One, very little fall or winter nitrogen applied. There was a large decrease in the early spring nitrogen applied and a high amount of acres receiving their weed and feed application for the first time in June. Now, no one knows what the rest of the season will bring, but so far, most operations have been very efficient with their nitrogen. And I do want to compliment the growers who took time to pull nitrates to stay on top of their fertility program. This is no small feat in a year like this. I've been getting a lot of questions on what fallow syndrome is and how worried should we be about it on our preventive plant acres. Fallow syndrome is when Plants, especially corn and small grains, have trouble extracting uh, nutrients, especially phosphate and zinc, from the soil. The crop will be stunted. The corn typically turns purple, indication of fallow syndrome, basically due to phosphate deficiency. As most of you know from attending our meetings, that soil fertility uh, that you have out there is released by soil microbes to the plants. If your soil biology isn't working, Nutrient availability is poor no matter what the soil test says. Now, poor biology can be caused by several things from soil health to compaction to poor drainage. What most of you are aware of is the effect temperature has on soil microbes. Soil microbes are very sensitive to temperature. So in cold springs, we have very little biology going on out there, and we have purple corn due to the cold soils because the microbes are holding back or not releasing nutrients for your crop to use. When we talk about fallow syndrome, we're talking about a reduction in the good fungi in our soil or the active mycorrhizae. The active mycorrhizae need to live on an actively growing root to survive. The active mycorrhizae assist the plant in taking up mainly phosphorus and zinc. Without the mycorrhizae, we can't get the soil test uh, values, even if they're high, uh, to overcome stunted purple corn. We need the fungi to release that phosphate into the orthoform to get it up in the plant. Not having plant roots or the right plant root available for a whole growing season drastically reduces the uh, population of the actomycorrhizae in your soil, which will cause the fallow syndrome next spring. This was very evident after the flooding in 1993 in the bottoms uh, next to the rivers where well, we dealt with fallow syndrome in the spring of 94 or after the wet year in northern Iowa in 2013 on, on the preventive plant acres planted in the spring of 2014 where there was no cover planted during that uh, preventive plant. Not all covers are a food source for the active mycorrhizae. So the sugar beet farmers up north deal with fallow syndrome every time they plant corn behind sugar beets because sugar beets are not a host for the mycorrhizae. Some of the cover crops are not host either. So while radishes help break up compaction, they're not a host for this mycorrhizae. 
covers to avoid fallow syndrome are going to be your rye, your oats, your wheat, your barley, and that line. You can use radishes and turnips for your preventive plant acres, but you'll need to have a mix with covers that will help you uh, as a host of the mycorrhizae. One question has been asked, what about weeds on the preventive plant acres? Will they be a host for mycorrhizae? Well, actually, yes, most of them will. If you were, for instance, to till a field or half a field multiple times and keep it clean, don't let the weeds grow, and let the weeds grow on the other half of the field, you would fight fallow syndrome on the side that you were doing the tillage. Of course, you'd be fighting weed control uh, for years on the other side. The question is, can I let the weeds grow and control them before they go to seed as my cover crop? Mm, yeah, actually, the answer there is yes, if you can control them before they go to seed. The problem is the amount of diversity we have in our weed population. They don't all seed at the same time. If we mow these acres timely, it'll be effective in some, but not all, of our weed control. Like our grasses and our water hemp, they can put seed on and only be four inches tall. To control these weeds from going to seed, the pest team will need to scout these acres and be timely with the control. It will take multiple mowings or tillage coupled with spraying to keep these fields from going to seed while having enough weed growth to stop the fallow syndrome. Some of you are still fighting weed populations from the droughted out areas in 2015 where the weeds took over, especially the water hemp. Those are only wet holes in the field. If you let these preventive plant acres go to seed, you'll be fighting this battle for years to come, especially if you crank up populations of resistance weeds. Fallow syndrome is not a big issue in soybeans. While I've seen them slow down early, so much of their yield is determined later. But for corn and wheat, and for some of you guys now growing barley for the breweries, it's a real thing. Another sure way to handle fallow syndrome is with starter fertilizer on the planter next year. By placing phosphate and zinc next to the plant, you're able to override the low amount being released by the soil. If So if you're set up to place starter off to the side of the seed, you may want to bump the rates next spring. Be careful trying to do that in furrow, though you may get burned. We mainly use starter to get phosphate and zinc into the plant when the soil is still cool and the biology hasn't fired up yet. With fallow syndrome, even after the soil warms up, we will have slow growth. It's not a matter of waking up the biology. We have to rebuild it. We have to rebuild the population, and we need root growth to do this. It's kind of like the chicken and the egg. We need mycorrhizae for nutrient release to get root growth, but we need root growth for the mycorrhizae to, to prosper and build in populations. Question is, if I keep this field clean and use starter on my planter, can I avoid fallow syndrome without a cover crop? And the answer is yes but this starter needs to be a phosphate with zinc in it. Some of you call 28% applied with your planter starter. Well, in this case, nitrogen is not the problem. We need phosphate. If I double my rate of phosphate that I broadcast this fall, will it get me around the fall fallow syndrome next spring? We've tried this in the past and it's just not been very effective due to the inefficiencies we have with broadcast phosphate when it comes to those small corn plants that we're trying to get running. I have a high soil test values. Will this get me around fallow syndrome? Unfortunately, it will not. We need these fungi to turn your high levels into something the corn plant can use. 
So there's a lot of different ways to look at this, and that's one of the reasons why I've suggested in the past we take a look at, especially those acres going to corn next year, we look at some type of cover like an oats on there to get around this fallow syndrome and help us control these weeds. Because this is no one pass, one deal and done deal. If you use herbicide or a combination of herbicides and covers, let's say like oats and callisto to control weeds, always keep track of your plant back intervals for the next year's crop. For our customers, uh, CTC customers, don't forget our field day is July 17th here at Hayworth. This will be a good day to get away from the farm and enjoy a day with other crop tech customers and hopefully learn something to boot. So the invitations will be going out today. For you growers uh, that are customers of Richie Grain, let Jeff know if you're coming or planning on coming. He's putting together uh, a carpool and depending on how many, maybe even a bus, depending on how many people want to come down. The same goes for you guys at Grand Ridge. Let Bubba know there at Helena. If you're interested, they're planning on carpooling as well. We here at CropTech want to wish everyone a happy and safe 4th of July. I know everyone is still fighting the good fight this year. This is a holiday to take time to enjoy your country, your community, and most of all, your family. This is truly the greatest country on earth to be a farmer in. We, for the most part, still get to run our farms the way we see best. We have a country of laws that protects us. We don't have to worry about our government or anyone else stealing it from us. We have a government that respects what farmers do for this country while giving us the freedom to do what we think is best on our farms. It supports us with things like affordable crop insurance, if we want it, which for many is part of survival in a year like this. We owe all of this to some very smart people who came before us and established this country and all the men and women who have and are defending this great country. My recommendation for this holiday is to shut off the news, unplug the internet, social media, then celebrate our country's birthday by enjoying your family and community activities. Happy 4th. To stay up to date, check out our website at croptechinc.com and subscribe to our podcast, Boots in the Field Report. Keep her safe, keep her moving.